Thank you for your kindness and your grace. We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to enlighten us concerning your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Randy, Randy asked at the beginning, where is everybody? <laughs> well, this is, this is our last Wednesday night Bible study for the summer, and you can see why. <laughs> The weather is so rarely nice in Wisconsin. When it's finally nice, nobody wants to be sitting inside. <clears throat> Actually, I don't know why we went to this one. I thought last week should have been the last one. <laughs> but they forced me to do one more, so that's what we're doing. After that, uh, we won't meet again until September, for those of you who follow along with us, because uh, <clears throat> we're going to sit outside where it's nice. Uh, there are a couple of, I think it's a family night in June yet coming up. Anybody know? Anybody work here? What do I know? June, July, and August. The big family events. June what? June 5th? 15th. I was going to say. Doesn't make any sense. Anyway, okay, so here we go. Now, we just finished uh, the first letter of the Corinthians. Let's take a look at where we're at on Paul's missionary journeys, okay? Uh, the first one he does with Barnabas, goes down to Cyprus, comes around here, whee, and he goes back. Everybody is absolutely thrilled. Then Paul has a big fallout with Barnabas, <laughs> and so he dumps him <laughs> and grabs uh, Paul and Silas now, and uh, he goes up here and comes way up here and comes around through Greece now, and he's preaching the gospel through Greece, you know, Philippi, Berea. Uh, some of these names <clears throat> will sound familiar as we read the letters that he writes to them. Gets to Athens, and he visits Corinth for the first time, lives there for like a year, 18 months, whatever. Goes to Ephesus, and, uh, and then buzzes down here. He makes a quick pass through uh, Jerusalem and back up to Antioch. That's trip number two. Trip number three, uh, he starts out... Uh, here on our green line, starts out the same, but now he cuts through and ends up in Ephesus. And uh, it's from here that he writes the first letter to the Corinthians, which we just finished, all right? So he just finishes. He's hanging out in Ephesus, and uh, we're going back now to the book of Acts. After he writes this first letter to the Corinthians, uh, a really interesting letter, um, he talks more about certain rules and conditions on worship services and how they should be conducted. Uh, a lot of it just doesn't apply because we don't have worship services like that anymore. Um, there are some rules that he gives that most Western churches disregard entirely today uh, and others that they do not. The difference is the consequences. For example, Paul says, uh, you know, Christians shouldn't sue each other. But there's really no big threat. <laughs> Even though you shouldn't be suing each other. He says it's a really bad witness, but I know Christians who sue other Christians all the time. I don't know what the world they're thinking. Uh, Paul talks about um, his whole letter segment about marriage, but a lot of it he says, look, this isn't the Lord. This is my opinion. Well, okay, so that we don't... <laughs> we kind of make a pass on it because he says it's not the Lord. It's his opinion. And it's really bizarre. It's hard to focus and follow some of the stuff that he says. And he talks about stuff that is so culturally relevant at that time that does not make any sense in our day today. So a lot of that's kind of disregarded. He talks about how men should not wear anything on their heads when they pray and in service, and women should. And he gives his argument for that. Uh, but at the end of the day, his only thing that he finishes is say, why are you complaining about this? Because this we have hardly any rules in churches. This is one of them. Just suck it up, buttercup, kind of in his own words. Uh, and, and then he talks about not allowing women to speak in church. But the context there is ans asking questions. But we don't deal with any of it today because nobody asks questions during a service. We're not allowed to do that. They held services differently. So some of these troubling things that people stumble over uh, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense today. I will say this. Virtually all people that I know that are students of the Bible, it's very clear that Paul, even though he had these rules, was very conscious about culture 
and about, he says, I become all things to all people that I might save some. When he's talking about the whole hair thing, which again, his arguments don't really make sense. He says, you know, a woman should have something on her head because of the angels. What does that mean? Nobody knows what he means. You know, good angels, bad angels, and what is he talking about? We don't know. They knew, we don't know. We know that they knew because he says in the second letter of the Corinthians that everything I wrote to you, you understood. <laughs> okay. Well, they knew, but we don't. Uh, so, you know, um, you know in, in, in Western culture, in Eastern culture, that was very traditional to this day. Women in Eastern culture should have their heads covered and, and all that kind of stuff. In Western culture, it would be a real negative thing, and people would look at Christianity very negatively uh, if, because they would think that we were being you know, harsh to women and all that kind of stuff. So I really doubt that in Western culture, in this day, that Paul, for the sake of heads, would have people do things that would wind up making the gospel so unpalatable to people. So in those cases, that's why we approach it. Then he talks about other things that have big consequences. Sexual immorality. He says those who do those things, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's a big threat. So we still listen to those rules. All right? And in, uh, uh, when they were taking uh, communion unworthily, he says you're taking and eating damnation to yourself. Well, we pay attention to that one, okay? So the rules that really have heavy consequences, ugh, we're very careful to obey those. The other ones where he says, well, that's the way you should do it. That's what I think. Why, why are you complaining? That's the only rule. Again, because it goes against such culture and some of it doesn't even apply today. That's why some of those things are disregarded in Western churches. There are those who say that it's, show, it's a sign that the Western church has corrupted itself, but I, I don't think so. Again, I don't know how those things, wearing a hat or not wearing a hat, is having that big of an impact one way or the other. I will say this, that if I knew of churches that had the hat rule going and they had a disproportionate amount of people coming to faith and miracles and happening and stuff, I'd, man, I'd kick in the hat rule overnight, all right? But I don't know of anybody who bases that their spiritual experience is any different than anybody else's, okay? It would be different, clearly, if they were, you know, like he was talking about seeing prostitutes and committing adultery. And so, yeah, there's some real negative consequences to stuff like that. Anyway, so that's all that with the first letter of Corinthians. So now we're going to go back to, he's hanging out at Ephesus. And it says, about that time, this is, uh, we're back in Acts, the 19th chapter, verse 23. About that time, there rose a great disturbance about the way. What is the way? Well, that's what they called the Christians at this time. We didn't really have a title. They didn't know what to call them. Eventually, we, they start calling us Christians. You know, Jesus didn't say, call yourself Christians. I mean, we didn't. They said, they just follow that way. Those guys, the way people. So that's what the early Christians were called, were people of the way, following the way of Christ or whatever. A phrase that we don't use anymore because we use the word Christian. So anyway, there's a big uh, disturbance about the way. All these Christians, the people in Ephesus were starting to have a fit, but all these people were becoming converted and more and more people were becoming Christians, and it was starting to really mess with the order of the day. Well, a silversmith by the name of Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, who was the goddess uh, in that area that they worshipped, uh, he made a lot of money. He brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, all these guys that made all these idols and stuff for Artemis. Um, he called them together and uh, along with the workers and related trades and said, hey guys, you know that we receive a good income from this business, a lot of money. And you see how, here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray. Of course, from their viewpoint, it was astray because they got away from the idols. They led them astray, large numbers of peoples here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that no gods made by human hands are no that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be uh, discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. So there's a threat. Paul, with all these people coming conversions, hey, we make a lot of money. We're not making so much money right now because people are quitting buying these 
uh, idols that we're making of the great Artemis. Uh, so anyway, they're all freaking out. So now when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. King James says great is Diana, right? They use the word Diana. It's just translated. Every time I read this Artemis, it messes with my head because I grew up reading the King James Bible. They were going, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Apparently they Translators disagreed. Her name was Artemis. So they're all going around yelling, greatest So they get in a lather. They get everybody in a lather. And uh, soon the whole city was in an uproar. And the people seized Gaius and whatever this guy's name is, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And all of them rushed into the theater together. They didn't grab Paul. They grabbed these two guys. And they were just in a lather, shouting and screaming, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. They're all going nuts. So they grabbed these two guys. And now Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. We're not letting you go. Come on, let me go. I'm the guy that should be talking to them. But uh, even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. So they're on this big amphitheater. They're all going nuts. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> They're just all going nuts. Just <laughs> it was in a lather. All right? So the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. And motioned, he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians! Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians! Can you imagine chanting that and screaming and yelling and being a lather for two hours? You gotta hand it to these people, they were disciplined. Apparently they had nothing else to do, too. <laughs> yes, yeah, I sound like Packer fans. No, I mean, these people were just going bananas. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, again, we're talking. This is Eastern culture, Near East Eastern culture. Uh, to this day, you'll see pictures of people in the Mideast just going bonkers over something. And they will chant and yell and scream and pull their hair and all the stuff that we watch. And go, wow, uh, that's apparently they're rather intense. So uh, anyway, so the uh, city clerk finally quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. They hadn't done anything. These guys were just mad because people were getting saved and they quit buying they're stupid idols. They didn't insult the idols. They didn't, you know, just people were coming to Christ and they quit doing things. You know, I don't know what would be a, what would be a good analogy. There's nothing. We don't have an analogy. I guess, you know, <laughs> it would be like all kinds of people are getting, becoming Christians in Green Bay and, and, and quit getting drunk out of their ever-loving minds. And all the liquor stores got together and started having a big chant and yelling. <laughs> They're not buying our booze. They're not buying our booze. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a bad analogy, but I was about the closest you can get. Uh, you know, come on, everybody's supposed to get blasted out of their mind. Uh, so anyway, he's trying to calm everybody down. He says, now, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, and there are pro-counsels. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. And after he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. So he's trying to get everybody to calm down. Two hours are yelling and screaming, this big thing going. This is all part of the uh, Roman Empire all through here, all right? And the Romans did not take kindly to assemblies of blathering idiots, and uh, they would come and they, they'd be very harsh. They would do anything to tap down, because they would possibly interpret anything as some kind of a rebellion against Rome. So you say to these guys, dudes, 
we're going to really get in trouble for this. You have got to calm down. So everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want the Romans coming here and going after us. So that was the end of it. Uh, so now we're in chapter 20 of, uh, of Acts. Now it says, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after uh, encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. So now he's going back up. And now Macedonia is all through up here. All this is Macedonia, which is basically Greece uh, today. Uh, that's where Philippi is, Berea. And uh, <clears throat> according to uh, most Bible scholars, he goes and he sees Corinth now. He goes to the Corinthians the second time uh, and then comes back up again. Uh, there's reference in the second book of Corinthians where Paul mentions a third visit. Uh, at least he says, this will be my third visit. I've been looking at everything I can find. I don't, I don't see anywhere in the book of Acts where it mentions a third visit, but most people assume he did visit them a third time. Some think that this was the third time, and then I'm trying to think, well, then when was the second time? I don't know. It really doesn't matter. But all we do know is he comes up. Now, what people are thinking here is, well, let's keep reading here. It says, he traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months, because... Uh, some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. Uh, and he was accompanied by Sopater, son of, what, well, I can't see these names, from Berea, Aristocardus Secundus, <laughs> which I guess is the second guy, I don't know, uh, from Thessalonica, Gaius and Derby, <laughs> Derby from Derby. That sounds like a hat. Timothy, Timothy, so now Timothy is back with him. Uh, Tick. Uh, Tychus, Tychus, I can't say it, Trophimus, Trophimus, from the province of Asia. Good Lord, simplify your names, people. All right, so, uh, now what we just read there is this running through here and back again. Now, this running through here and back again covers a lot of territory, which we will get into in the fall. Uh, it's our understanding that when he gets up to this northern part of Macedonia and then comes back into Greece, uh, that he writes the second letter to the uh, Corinthians, which is what we'll be jumping into right away now. Um, and then after a few months, he writes the letter to the Romans. So we'll be going right into the book of Romans. All this in this little piece right here in your Bible, we're going to be going into Two pretty big books, letters of the, of the Bible now. We're going to be going into 2 Corinthians and Romans, and all that happens in these few verses in this statement. Exactly what the time frame is, I'm not, I'm not really sure. But uh, so that's, that's what happens here. And uh, so, uh, Timothy was uh, not with him when he wrote the first letter, but you'll see when we start reading the second letter, Timothy's with him right away. So this, when they're all gathered together, they're making this trip. And, uh, and they come through there. So <clears throat> that's as far as we're getting into the book of Acts. <laughs> now we jump right over to, uh, to, the first, uh, to 2 Corinthians. Now 2 Corinthians is a lot easier for me. <laughs> he doesn't get into any big rules about the church that we struggle with today. He writes more in his traditional manner of um, talking about theology and and. and those kinds of things. The book of Romans is really rather fascinating. There's a lot of fundamental Christian theology that is laid out in the book of Romans that explains why, what the situation of man is, why we need to get saved, what happens when we get saved, the struggle between you know, walking with Christ and yet this part of our flesh that wants to still walk against Christ, all this struggle and stuff. So the book of Romans is really a fascinating study. Looking forward, I'd, I'd jump into it now, but it's not in order. So <clears throat> first thing he does as soon as he gets into the northern part of Macedonia, after going through all this in Ephesus, he was there for quite a while, he writes the second letter. So here we go. We'll see how far we get. Then we'll stop and we'll pick it up in the fall. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy. See, now Timothy's with him. Our brother. To the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, which is all this area up in here. Okay. Um, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, He writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Somebody say amen. Praise God. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we've received ourselves from God. So here's the principle of as you have received, so you should give. Okay, freely you have received, freely give. And this principle is in all areas of life. Uh, If God has blessed you, you should bless other people. Well, wait for God to bless them. That's not the way it works. We're supposed to pass it on, okay? If you're in a good financial position, you should be in a place where you can bless other people financially. If you're in a good emotional state, uh, you should be able to bless those who are not in a good emotional state. Uh, If you feel God has just really strengthened your faith and given you great comfort in your life, uh, now you should be able to reach out and to comfort those who are struggling. So that kind of thing. God blesses, but expects the blessings to continue. All right? Uh, so that's what he talks about there. Where am I? Da, 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 da. Um, he comforts us with any trouble that we've, the comfort that we've received from God. Okay, verse five. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope is for, uh, for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Are you hearing what he's saying? Now, we don't really know in detail what he's talking about, because the book of Acts doesn't give us the detail. We get this little tiny chunk of, they went from here to there, you know, all the time. Uh, And we read in here some of the troubles they were having. We read about, you know, everybody chanting like a bunch of crazy people in Ephesus, uh, but Paul wasn't really, you know, they kept Paul out of that. There was a threat there. But all we know is these people are really suffering. Uh, we know of the great sufferings in the early church. Uh, the major sufferings that the Romans are going to bring down on their heads is yet to come. It actually gets worse. That's where you, we know historically they would arrest Christians. They would throw them into the uh, amphitheaters for entertainment, kind of fodder to be killed in the games, thrown to lions, all this other kind. This is still before that. So it even gets worse from here. But they were really struggling. And a lot of people who uh, were following Christ, their lives were being dramatically changed. They were experiencing miracles in their lives. But at the same time, they are breaking with. I mean, some of you guys just know the grief you got because you didn't go to your family's Lutheran church anymore, right? Or you were raised hardcore Catholics, And your family's still mad at you because you come to this cult up on the hill. You know, of course, to them, everything's a cult. That's not a Catholic church. You know, there are cults. We're not one of them. All right. Uh, So, I mean, just the grief and the, you know know what I'm talking about? Something can be really intense. Well, this is really much worse than that. At least they're all still from a Christian viewpoint. The world was intensely pagan. And all of a sudden, Christianity comes along. What the heck is this? And they, everything they had grown up with, everything they were familiar with, everything socially, in their businesses, their careers, everything was at jeopardy. The closest thing you could think of is imagine living in the Middle East today. Let's say you live in Saudi Arabia and you're a good Muslim man or good Muslim woman and suddenly you become a convert to Christianity. Holy buckets. I mean, your life is under threat. You will be disowned. People will try to kill you. Uh, The only people who come to anywhere like this is you have to look at the Middle East, what it takes for someone to convert to Christianity to there there today. It costs them everything. And that's kind of what they're experiencing here. At one point, Paul says it got so bad for him and his guys, he says, we despaired of life itself. You know, you think... I don't know if you've ever been on the point where you, you've been so discouraged and you just wish you'd die. Uh, that's where he was. He think, really? 
How can you get there? This is Paul the Apostle, walking with God, all these miracles, everything else. Even for them, there were days and times it was unbearable, and they suffered horribly. He goes on to write, he says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but also on God who raises the dead. What is he saying? These trials were teaching us to just trust in God. Now that we can certainly apply to our own life. We all have struggles. We all have difficulties. You know, for some people, your refrigerator quit working and it's the end of the world. Uh, and to you, it's a big deal. You know, I mean, when you're going through a hard time, it's still a hard time for you. It's kind of embarrassing when you think of these people <laughs> or think, think of others around the world who suffer, you know. My cat is gone. Why did God take my cat? You know, you almost lose your faith because the stupid cat ran away. Uh, well, it's a big deal to you, all right? And say, why do we have any difficulties at all? Because what Paul's trying to tell us is it's through these difficulties that uh, you find your strength in God if you're walking this out. By the way, if you're missing a cat, I have one you can have. All right, so he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. Uh, what is that saying? We went through a hard time, and uh, we'll be going through a hard time again. This stuff doesn't end. You know, I, I started writing a book. I don't know if I'll ever get very far with it, but uh, the book is entitled, The Good News Is We Die. <laughs> that sounds a little depressing. But the reality is, life is hard. You know, I just, I was thinking about writing just of all the grief and misery I can think of <laughs> that I've encountered personally, our families encountered, people I know that have encountered, and how, you know, at the end of the day, even when you're walking with God and the most righteous life you can possibly live, you're still going to have some trouble. Don't think God has forsaken you. The reality is we live in a place where the world, the flesh, and the devil hates your guts. And all the grief that can possibly rain on your head, they will try to rain on your head. But we trust God through it all. And uh, we come through the trials and we, you know, have all this. And the, the good news is someday we die and we leave this place. And uh, we find our eternal rewards. Okay, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's wisdom. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. <laughs> really? Because there's a whole bunch of that last letter I didn't understand. But they understood it, you know. The, the general premise is true. He didn't write in ways that, oh, I can't understand. The Bible's very clear. And my instruction always, whenever you're reading a part of the Bible that you don't understand, especially in the New Testament, just skip it and move on. The bulk of it is extremely easy to comprehend. We do have those handful of things that Paul talks about in his first letter. They all knew what he was talking about, but they had the context. They were asking him the questions. They were back. He lived with them for a time, you know, so we're kind of filling in the blanks and some of those things. I, we just don't know exactly, but they knew. He says, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully so that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Uh, obviously, he hadn't gotten there yet. He says, I wanted to get there. Uh, he says, was I fickle when I intended to do this or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I can say, yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, no. You know, he wasn't you know, goofy, why this is important for him to clear up, I don't know. <laughs> but he just wants to know, I'm coming to you. I said I was going to come. Hang on. You know, I'm coming. I'm not being a squirrel about it. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is yes, is not yes and no. Uh, but, but as surely as God is faithful, 
Our mission to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among us by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, it's always been yes. God's word is true. It's not true today and not true tomorrow. And God kind of likes you, but today you really ticked him off. And, you know, da 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 And, you know, he really loved you until he found out who you were related to, and then he was out. You know, there's none of that. God loves you. He knows all about you. And he's in 100% for you. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Amen. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. God makes the promise. We say amen. He will be with us. Amen. You know, but I'm struggling right now. Yeah? Get in line. Because <laughs> everybody struggles. The good news is you come on. Jesus said, in this earth, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. All right? And when you're going through difficulty, and if you need, look, sometimes you need an extra arm around you. Don't, don't think you have to bear it all by yourself. As he said, sometimes you need, uh, if you're in a good place, you comfort others. Well, sometimes you're in the bad place, you need to be comforted. That's fine. We all need encouragement. We all need sometimes people to pray for us, people to lift us up. You know, and then when you're strong, it's your turn to do that to others. All right? And now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ, uh, which this is really important. It's God that makes us stand in Christ. All right? Sometimes when you think, I, I can't take it anymore. Remember what he, he wrote to the first Corinthians in the first letter, to the Corinthians in the first letter. He says, God has never, will never give you more than you can handle. He will never allow you to be tempted above what you can handle. He will make it possible for you always to stand in faith. And you have to remind yourself of that, especially on the days when you're really discouraged. And there will be days when you will be really discouraged. You just have to remember, no matter how I feel, God is bigger than that. No matter what my circumstances, God is bigger than that. No matter how many people hate my ever-loving guts, no how much my ex torments me, or whatever your problem is, how much my boss can't stand me, whatever, you have to understand, God is on your side. He will never allow you to uh, encounter more than you can handle. Now, having said that, you would really be surprised what you can handle, right? <laughs> so the good news, God will give you more than you can handle. The bad news is you can handle a lot worse than you've handled so far. People have an incredible ability to bear some of the most awful of circumstances. But God's grace is there, and he carries them through. That's the wonderful thing about walking with Jesus. So anyway, he says, uh, God anointed us. He set, anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing, guaranteeing what is to come. Uh, what's the word there for that? King James. Anybody got a King James Bible? I got one on my phone. There's a word here. Pause for a moment as I look it up. Battery. Oh, stop. All right. I had the word in my head before. I got, things don't pop as clearly as it used to in my brain. <laughs> and all the people over 60 said, amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Change the translation. King James. There it is. God has sealed us and has given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. All right, the reason I wanted to point it out because that word earnest is still used to this day in uh, real estate transactions, okay? You have to give the earnest money, right? Do you understand what I'm talking about? This is a word from the King James that's still used today. We don't know what he uses anymore, except in uh, real estate transactions. The real, so what Paul is saying here. Um, God has given us all, the reason you have earnest money is to show that you're serious, okay? If you're going to make an offer on my house and want to offer me, hopefully, a lot of money, 
Okay. The way that I know that you're serious is you give some earnest money. And it needs to be something, you know. A lot of people, it's a token, you know, 500 bucks or something. To me, that's, that's not much earnest money. I want to see 5,000 bucks. Now I know you're serious. And I've seen that. Actually, we had one guy who gave us 5,000 for earnest money. Where's the redhead? She said in here. There she is. Hey, baby. Remember me? Anyway, so, uh, 5,000 bucks, and then he changed his mind. We got to keep all 5,000. It was a nice day. <laughs> so anyway, you know, the thing about earnest money is that's why people try to give a token because they might change their minds. That's how you see how serious. This guy was very serious. Here's 5,000 bucks. I'm going to buy your house. We're great. We took the offer. Two days later, he says, no, I changed my mind. Thank you for the money. He says, can I have my money back? <laughs> no. It was the earnest money. And I keep it in earnest. Praise the Lord. That's exactly what I did, too. With a smile. All right. So anyway, what am I saying? Something. Oh, okay. So the earnest money, that's how you know this is real. Everybody say real. Okay, so somebody's going to give you some earnest money. I'm serious. I'm going to, I want to do this. And it can be in any transaction. You can use the term earnest. You know, I want you to, uh, uh, I want to hire you to mow my lawn. <laughs> Here's 100 bucks earnest money. Actually, I wouldn't even pay that much in total. But anyway, so the thing is, you know, wow, this guy's serious. All right? You know it's real at that point. Once somebody gives you the money, show me the money. Y'all remember the money movie, right? Show me the money. Because when you get the money, I know it's real. Now, what he's saying here is how you know this experience is real is God has given us, uh, what is the word he says here? The deposit. I just think it's a weaker word. He's given us the earnest money, see? King James says earnest money. He's give, it's guaranteeing what's to come. And that guarantee, that earnest, is the spirit of God that comes into your life. That warmth, that buzz, the thing that you feel, it is a piece of heaven. That's how you know that you know where you're going to go. Right? And that's what Christians are trying to share. We often encounter people and say, you know, have you really given your heart to Jesus? Well, I don't know. Well, if you died, would you go to heaven? Oh, I hope so. Well, these people don't have the earnest. You see what I'm saying? They're all hoping it's all going to bounce. That's a bad place to be. You really surrender your life to Christ when you've really accepted God's forgiveness in your life and the spirit of God comes into your life, you now, you have that earnest. You see what I'm saying? And that's how you know. And even because there's days where, you know, your struggles and you'll make mistakes if you're as bad as Randy. <laughs> Actually, if you're as bad as me, we all make mistakes, okay? We all make, if you're as bad as and you mess up and you, oh, and the devil will come and scream in your head and say, you're a nothing, you're a nobody, you're a failure, you're gonna go to hell. Anybody ever have those thoughts flying in your head? But if you'll just stop in the midst of that, you'll still be able to sense God's spirit in your heart and say, no, I have that down payment. I have the earnest. He can't renege, all right? He does. See, God, that's what he's saying. God doesn't renege on his deals. People might renege. The one guy reneged, I kept a five grand, all right? But God does not renege on us. When he gives you that deposit, this is how we know that what we are experiencing is the real deal, the spirit of God. Whew. Anyway, pretty cool. Guaranteeing us to come. Then he goes on, he says, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith that you stand firm. Chapter two, so I made up in my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you because the other one apparently was painful. See, this is where someone figures, this, he's probably referring to the second visit. I just don't see in the book of Acts, where was the second visit? So again, what, they give us more detail here than we see in the book of Acts, so I don't know. Uh, this, the painful visit would have been when he showed up and he was really ticked at them. You know, and then eventually wrote the letter and whatever. So, um, uh, that's, so he said, that's why I didn't come right away. I didn't want to just come when I was still ticked. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did. He's writing about the first letter, right? He's trying to explain is I wrote this letter because he was really pretty ticked in that first letter. 
And there were some really serious rebukes in there. We kind of got hung up on, I got hung up on the things I didn't understand. But the context is he's really torqued because they're, they're bad. They're being bad people. They're fighting with each other, right? They're taking each other to court. The guys are going to prostitutes before they come to church. I mean, this, they're having communion. They're getting drunk and partying. He was horked. He was really mad. So he writes this letter, and he yells at him, stop it. Okay, so now he's trying to say, look, the reason I wrote to you so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who, who, who used to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would sh- all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. In other words, it's kind of like a parent, you know, who has to discipline a child and... Uh, they say, you know, this will hurt you, me a lot more than it hurts you. As a child, I never bought into that philosophy. <laughs> really? How come I'm the one getting smacked? All right? But, uh, but any parent knows what I'm talking about. It's difficult to discipline your children with you. Use corporal punishment or not. I mean, whatever you got to do, it's often painful for the parent. I keep dinging. Do you hear that dinging? I'm sorry. I have the attention span of a fly. How do I stop it? I thought I stopped it. Oh, Brian Delaney, over in Stephen's point, he's a realtor. Ernest, he probably said that 10 minutes ago. It just now got to me, Brian. Thanks, you were slow. All right, I'm sure you did it right away. Ernest Money, he's a realtor. He knew what I was looking for. All right. It just came through. Good thing you weren't on fire. All right, (laughs) somebody put him out. Said, I'm on fire. Ten minutes later, the text comes through. All right. So anyway, he's saying, I did this. I I was in tears. I felt bad. I didn't want to be yelling at you and stuff like that. Uh, But anyway. So he goes on. He says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, what is he talking about? Every Bible scholar says all of a sudden he flips. What he's talking about is the one guy that was having sex with his father's wife, which is either his stepmom or, God forbid, his mother. It doesn't say we don't know. But remember, he says, you kick that guy out of the church. You have nothing to do with him. You turn him over to, so when you pray, you just turn him over to Satan, that Satan would rip him to pieces so that maybe he would come to repentance and find his way back to God. Well, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So he hears this guy is devastated when the church lays the hammer on him. And, uh, and who knows what he goes through. I would not would have wanted Paul the Apostle to pray the devil beat the snot out of me. <laughs> That's got to be a bad day, right? So who knows what this guy goes through as soon as Paul says to pray that prayer. Uh, anyway, this guy is now, he's devastated and he's repenting and Paul said, okay, 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 forgive him. Let him back in. And, uh, and, and so they do. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I'll talk about that in just a second. So anyway, what they were apparently appealing to him is they, listen, he's really devastated, all this stuff, you know, he said, okay, forgive him. If you forgive him, I forgive him. I don't hate him. You know, he's just trying to make peace with this guy. Um, so it's, it's a great outcome. I personally, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this. Usually people that we try to discipline tell us to stick it and leave. <laughs> they never repent, you know. Uh, just different culture, different world, I don't know. Uh, the thing is today, if you're with one church and it ticks you off, you just go to another one and they'll all hug you. They're happy to see you, you know what I'm saying? Back in this day, there was just clearly delineated one group of people called 
people of the way or Christians or whatever. And when they kick you out, there was no place else to go. You were just thrown back into a pagan world. Which again, this is 2,000 years ago. This is a very dark time of life. People really loved the community of Christians being part of that fellowship. Their friends, their loved ones, everybody was part of this. Uh, and it was very strong. We have a wonderful connection, but I don't think we have anywhere near the connection they had because they were so connected with that. We try to encourage that all the time. Get involved with people. Get to meet people. You know, Get them into your life. The more you do that, the stronger you'll become in your faith. And all of a sudden, if those people all of a sudden confront you and say, man, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. You can't come here anymore. That should be so devastating to you that it would cause you to repent. This has always been the ideal. Sadly, in the culture we live today, first of all, people aren't that connected. And when you tell them to stop coming, they just tell you to stuff it and they leave anyway. And uh, they don't feel devastated. They'll go to the church down the road and they'll be happy to see them. <laughs> Hi, you want to join our church? Yeah, so, uh, so sadly, there's not this kind of effect uh, anymore in people. Um, now, I would think, I mean, if my church kicked me out, I'd be pretty devastated, I would think. But a lot of these people, they get so hard-hearted, you know. By the time we get to someone where we tell them, and uh, it happens fairly, fairly, or very, very, very rarely, uh, there's been a couple of times we've asked people not to come anymore. Um, one time, only one time that we've actually sent a letter to someone said, you know, you are way out of line. This is unacceptable. You can't be here anymore. Uh, they didn't care. None of them cared, you know. So, but it's still, we should, just still trying to follow the biblical thing. I think if my church were to write me a letter and say, you have been so disobedient, so bad in this area, you're out, I would think that would devastate me and I'd want to make it right with them. Hopefully that's what mo where most of us would think. But you have to remember, a lot of these people, by the time they get to that place that you ask them to leave, they're so hard-hearted at that point. They just don't care anymore. So uh, apparently this guy still cared and had a big impact on him, so he repented. Uh, what I, I want to make a comment here where it says uh, in, in verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us. Don't be a nitwit, all right? Don't let the devil outwit you for we are not unaware of his schemes. The verses always come to me in King James. We are not ignorant. It writes in the King James Version. We are not ignorant of his devices, Satan's devices. I think really, I know all kinds of people who seem incomprehensibly ignorant to me. They don't seem to. No, but if you're really in tune, none of this should be a surprise, okay? And that's really we're supposed to be in a place where we're enough tuned spiritually that you know the stuff's going to be coming at you before it comes at you. You know, none of this is a surprise. One point, uh, I don't know, it was Peter, whoever wrote, said, uh, you know, don't be shocked about the trial you're going through. Really? Because that's what most people are. They're shocked, you know? Don't be shocked, he says, as though some strange thing is happening to you. This isn't strange. This is... Par for the course. The good news is we die. Okay? Uh, so, anyway, we're not supposed to be ignorant or unaware of Satan's schemes. We're supposed to be aware. Uh, Paul writes later, uh, you know, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, I've heard Christians say, no, we got victory in Jesus. Satan's just a toothless lion. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. He's not a toothless lion. He'll bite your head off if you're not careful. Always be aware of the challenges that are to come down the line. If we're really aware, you shouldn't be shocked. You won't like it. You might, even as Paul said, despair of life itself at times. But none of it should be a shock or a surprise because we should be aware. We need to be aware of our surroundings, all right? Uh, we're not very aware today uh, of even what's around us. People live in a very tight bubble now. Seriously, they're not even aware of the person next to them. They don't know what's coming. Uh, and every once in a while, we'll read of a guy who plunges to his death with his phone. Like in New York City, he walks into a manhole. The, the cover's off, and he says, he dies a horrible death because he's here. We're just here, and nobody sees anybody anymore. And uh, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> and I've been as guilty as many uh, in that regard. But spiritually speaking, you need to be aware. 
We need, don't live in a little bubble of just, this is your life and your, everything's a shock and a surprise to you. Be alert, spiritually alert. Read the scriptures, pray, and know that there will be difficulties coming your way. That's why you want to actually pray in advance. Thank you, God, for a wonderful day. Make me stronger so the next wave that hits me, I will stand. All right? It's like, you know, being... Because uh, we don't really have waves in Wisconsin. <laughs> Little bloop, bloop. But you go to, like, Hawaii, this place in Hawaii, the, the waves, holy moly. You know, I remember we were, <laughs> we were someone Maui or Kauai or something like that. So they have this sign, be, be careful of the waves. I think, yeah, come on, it's a wave. How bad can it be? So I get out there. I got this nice hat on. I got my expensive, you know, uh, sunglasses, prescription sunglasses. And, and I'm coming out, and all of a sudden, here comes this wave, and I'm thinking, boom! This thing hits me, and it's like somebody reached down and grabbed my leg and was trying to pull me into the ocean. I'm like, ah! And oh, my head goes flying, my glasses are coming off, and my pants are about to come off. <laughs> I had to make a choice. I grabbed the pants. Ah! Pulling me out! I finally let go. I still said, holy cow! And I got out of there. I walked to my wife. She says, where are your glasses? They're in the ocean. Why didn't you grab them? I was holding on to my pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are many people in the area who are glad that I did so. All right, so, now, I got out of there. But if I stayed there, the first one could be a bit of a shock. The second one, you're a moron, all right? The third one, you need an examination. If you're shocked, it happened again! It happened, yeah, you keep standing there, it's going to keep happening. The waves keep coming. Only they have big yo mama waves. They kind of sneak up on you. It's kind of calm when you see this little rolling by the time it's goes, tries to eat you alive and suck you into the ocean. Ah! Well, that's kind of life. We are on the beach of life. And there's big yo mama waves that are going to come and going to try and suck you down. All right? Just to say, Lord, help me to be ready for the next wave. Help me to be ready. Suck it up, buttercup. Come on, let's get strong. You know what the Bible says? He who faints during the time of trouble, his strength was weak. Whoa, that's not very compassionate. We think, oh man, how can you say that? He was having a lot of trouble. You know, that trouble is really bad trouble, and, and that, that's why he has the trouble. And, and the Bible says, no, 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 if he goes down to trouble, it just means that he was weak in the first place. Wow. Because if you get strong, you don't collapse in the time of trouble. Do not be aware, unaware of Satan's schemes. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found that, which is up here somewhere. Yeah, here it is. Um, again, I think he goes here and then up here and he writes it up here somewhere. When I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. All right, so he goes up into Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Hallelujah. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. He uses this kind of analogy. You'll see it again, where to some people, the message of Christ, Christianity, is the smell of death. It's, they, you know, it's foolishness. It's nonsense to them. But to those who get it, this thing is life. It's life. You're here listening to me wherever you're at right now. If you're following this kind of a study, you're someone who has received the earnest of the Holy Spirit, and these words bring you life, and it brings you blessing. 
people who don't know Christ, they think we're crazy. You sat there for an hour, listen to him talk. <laughs> Why would you do that? We could be home drinking beer, you know, I mean, or doing something else. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a shock to them. This whole experience of Christianity is odd, it's weird, it kind of reeks to them, you know, uh, all right? But to those who are responding to the gospel, and to those maybe who haven't even gotten saved yet that come and, and God is calling them, you can tell God's starting to call them because you don't reek to them. I'm not talking physically, but just spiritually. Something about you smells good to them. And I, I love that. My, my wife and I love hanging with people that maybe aren't Christians, but they start making comments like, man, we, we love to be around you guys. We love to be around you guys. I just smile and go, you know, we're going to get you. All right. So, because, because you can tell God's starting to pull on their heart because the people who don't want anything of it, it doesn't smell good to them. They don't like being around people like us. And you can see it, you run into it, and they'll be polite and everything, but you can just see by their mannerisms, they can't wait to get away from you. All right? And even if you're not even saying anything. But uh, I was talking to a friend, uh, uh, he's a state uh, representative, John Mako. How do you guys know who he is? And uh, I've known him for years, we knew him in, in Marshfield and stuff like that. And he was one of those guys that we just kept being real nice, and we weren't shoving the Bible down his throat, you know, and... And, uh, and he says, man, I like being around you guys. I like being around you. But it's kind of like you get them real close to the pool and then they fall in, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, I was with him yesterday. He says, you know what? I was around you like for a year before I finally found Jesus. How come you didn't tell me about this right away? I said, well, you, you couldn't handle it, man. If I had come just blaring with both barrels coming at you, you know, would go right in for the mountains, you know. Just love people, be a sweet smell. But look for that. You'll find people who maybe... They get around you, they like being around you. You can tell they like being around you. There's something about you. They'll even say stuff like that. Man, there's something about you I really like. Those are the kind of people. Pray for those people. Ask God to give you an open door to share the gospel with them. You don't have to do it over. I know those people say, well, you got to pray for them right away. They might die and go to hell. How about you pray they don't die and go to hell? How about you just try and win them to Jesus, win them to yourself, get them so they like being around you, and look for opportunities. People that just get around and they don't like you, they can tell us something weird about you, and you're one of those Bible thumpers or whatever the deal is. You know, I wouldn't react too much to them. They just let it go. But look for those people. You can tell. You'll, you'll see it, and it's kind of a neat way. All right? So that's that, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm going to spend as much time as I can on my boat <laughs> during the summer. Assuming, you know, we get like five days of summer around here. <laughs> yeah. The wind will come and blow me off to Sturgeon Bay or something like that. Uh, hopefully we have an, a, a nice summer. But anyway, enjoy uh, your summer and your time off. Uh, love your family. Love your friends. This is a really great time actually to connect with you. I was talking about earlier about connecting. Find other Christians. Get together. You know, hang out. Invite them over. Grill out. Get some really, really good steaks and, you know, call, you know, the pastor. And call him over. And say, you know, I know you're not preaching this Wednesday night, you slacker, come over, we're going to eat some food. So, uh, and just spend time with people and, uh, and love people and uh, enjoy your summer. Uh, be aware of the three big family night stuff, especially if you have kids, they're great times. But you don't have to have kids. Uh, we grill out and have a great time here at the church and just kind of hanging out. There's a lot of power in connecting with people. Even if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be a Bible study, it's just connecting with people. People that friends, because these are the people that when you're in trouble, you'll want them to pray for you. And these are the people who, when they get in trouble, will want you to pray for them. You know, you can't do that if nobody knows you. If nobody knows your situation, you know, so I go to that church, you know, and you know, just, man, I'll bet you there's three to 4,000 people in Green Bay alone that call Celebration Church their church. They don't show up on Sunday morning very often. When they all do it one time, nobody can find any parking. Those are those freak days when they show up. Accidentally, they all showed up, you know. But, uh, you know, but they're always on the fringe. They don't really connect. Oh, I, man, all week long we run into people. Oh, oh, I lie, Pastor Mark. Oh, Pastor, oh, nice to meet you. You know, we, we go to church, you know, you know, sometimes. Don't you call all the time? Well, you know, I got a cat. You know, I don't know. I, I, I got to comb the cat. I mean, everybody's got their goofy excuses, you know. <laughs> I just want to smack them, you know, but you got to keep smiling. You know, uh, but these are people that when, when, the, when the caca hits the fan, you know, there's a guy like going to be around them. When it hits the fan of their life, who's going to help them? You know, 
they come rushing in a panic and, you know, and we'll still try to help them. But uh, you want people that you can do life with. That's the importance of spending time with people. So even though we won't be doing the Bible studies and all you guys listen to me <clears throat> all around the world and stuff like that, uh, take this to heart. Wherever you're at, it is so important to connect with people. And the only way you can do it is to spend time with them. Find ways to connect. Get a hobby. Do something. So any kind of whatever you can do. Fishing, whatever. Again, the summer's a great time to just real connect with people. And get close to people. Close enough so that uh, when, when trouble comes, you can be there for them or they can be there for you. All right? I love you guys. Have a wonderful summer. Stay safe. And, uh, and then we'll pick up our Bible studies again in the fall.